Hello there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and here on the Crypto Frontier, we will hear from the industry's best and brightest about the latest news in crypto and blockchain from Australia and around the world. Whether you haven't yet bought your first Bitcoin or want to better understand the latest DeFi token or development in blockchain, this show will go behind the scenes with founders, experts, and industry professionals to explore the technology that powers the future of finance. Today, we speak with Juthika Chow, head of OTC options trading at Kraken. Juthika first joined the crypto space in 2013 when she co-founded Ledger X, a regulated Bitcoin futures and swaps exchange. Prior to that, she spent seven years as a derivatives trader at Goldman Sachs. In this episode, Juthika tells us about the first time she experienced trading crypto markets, what she looks for in an exchange, where she likes to get market data, and how crypto exchanges and infrastructure differ from traditional markets. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. I hope you enjoy the show. Juthika, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. I'd love to start by you know, getting a little bit of insight into you know, your background and, and how you arrived in the crypto world. Yeah, so I come from the trading side. Um, so I was trained in math and computer science um, by educational background, but then I went and worked at Goldman right out of college in uh, high frequency options market making. So in the derivative side, across a variety of assets, starting with equities and equity indices, um, and then building out the VIX business. And it was when I was at Goldman that I first got exposed to Bitcoin in 2011 um, and ended up buying some, not holding it for various reasons. I was still working at Goldman at the time, um, but trading it around and took an interest in it really as a financial asset that was strictly superior to gold in a lot of ways. Um, so the mm-hmm. same kind of fixed supply, fixed and issuance, but you could actually um, move it around. It had better fungibility, things like that. Um, but it was kind of just like a hobbyist thing at the time. You know, it was really the Wild West back then. The market <laughs> cap was quite small. So, you know, and the thing is, like, part of the reason that we didn't hold it was that there was no best practices for security. You just kind of uh, had it on your laptop and hoped for the best. And it's so interesting for me now to come full circle Um you know, working at Kraken, which was started right around the same time, um, with a lot of this for a lot of the same reasons, you know, of, mm. uh, kind of the security issues and stuff. And, um, and so I took an interest in it, followed it, stayed close to the space. There wasn't really that much to do um, outside of trading it. And then a couple of years later, the market cap matured, the regulatory environment matured. And we thought that maybe there was an opportunity to start a derivatives exchange. And that's um, what we did with Ledger X. We're in that for a number of years. And then um, now at Kraken, I'm back on the derivatives trading side. And I would say over the years, my appreciation for Bitcoin has really, um, really grown. I feel like I continue to to learn more about it and see more um, interesting aspects of it. But it started as a financial asset Then I think at, at Ledger X kind of saw it as a collateral asset, you know, can be transferred twenty four seven, three sixty five, and then really here at Kraken, I've just gotten exposed to a lot of other elements of 
um, why folks are participating in, in the space, which has now blossomed to a multi-trillion dollar space, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, wow. Okay, so there's so many interesting jumping off points from, from there that I'd love to dive into. And I guess the first one is a bit of a zoom out one. So just paint a little picture then, you know, what was it like trading, you know, Bitcoin back in 2011? How did you do it? Yeah, so um, it's it was a process. Um, and particularly, I think, you know, it's so interesting because what made it so difficult to trade is what gave you an appreciation for what Bitcoin has to offer. So um, for me, I had to first try to get Goldman compliance approval, um, which eventually they just essentially compliance said, nobody knows what this is, so <laughs> it's fine. Just go ahead and do it. Um, and then, so then I had to transfer money from my Goldman account through Dewalla at the time to get it to mm. Gox. Um, so that took like three weeks, I think. And then you finally get it at Gox and then you can buy Bitcoin on Gox. Um, mm -hmm. And you're like watching the market at all hours because it's like the first time you have this like 27, 24 seven market and you're trying to do this outside of work hours. Um, but then once you actually have Bitcoin, you can transfer it, you know, to anyone like just mm. 24 seven across coasts and stuff. And so I think that was the first time where um, you go from just interacting with the banking system and how uh how onerous it was and how many times you just didn't know where your money was in the process um to then this public blockchain that anybody can use nobody owns completely open access um with funds that are always accessible so you kind of that was what kind of gave the first appreciation for bitcoin but uh yeah fiat on ramps were not what they are today <laughs> yeah we had a similar experience actually, and that was in the end part of the service was smoothing out that that funding cycle and also the market side. And so the market itself, then you know, if you think about Mount Gox and and what it was like to trade on, um, was it functional? Um, I think it was functional, uh, but until it became not. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and it was right around the first time of the the first hack too. Um, you know, I think. At that time, people's standards just became fairly low for uh, for anything that they could sort of get their hands on. Like I said, it was the Wild West. Um, but I do recall, and you know, we were probably before some of the other problems that arose later with Gox, but I do recall it being fairly functional um, at that time, at least. Okay, and so let's jump forward then. So, you know, what's changed? Like what? What's it like now trading, you know, on Kraken on a, on a platform like Kraken versus then? Yeah, I mean, so the the fiat on ramps are um, night and day, you know, and I think that the that's always been the tricky part um, for like crypto adoption, in my opinion, and and a lot of the risk for it too, because hmm. you know, even if you look at regulators, everybody says, oh, they can't shut down Bitcoin, which is true. But they can go after the fiat on ramps, which would be obviously a huge, um, huge blow to the space. And I think the positive environments that we've seen over the years, now you can purchase Bitcoin on Kraken with a credit card, um, you know, instantly buy and sell crypto, uh, super seamless experience. You see your, there's an integrity of markets and prices and you see your risk. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think the standards have really 
gone up over time and they've become much closer to what you would expect from like a traditional stock trading experience. Um, not like a, not something that you would consider the wild west. Yeah. And yet it still have, it has its own kind of idiosyncrasy. So what could you just explain to, to the listener, you know, like what the main differences between trading on a crypto market like is versus say trading on an equities exchange? Yeah. So I think the first main difference is that there's, in an equity in the equities market or the traditional world it's uh it's segmented there's differentiation between the different services that are provided so you would log on um you would go through the interface of a broker and like a broker dealer like an Ameritrade or a Schwab mm-hmm. and um and they're the ones that or Robinhood and they'll they're the ones that will route your order to an exchange and the exchange like the New York Stock Exchange or Nasdaq that's where all the market makers are providing quotes and they're co-located environments and that's what's matching the orders and then when you agree the orders are matched then it goes to the clearinghouse like a DTCC or like an OCC so there's all these different um, elements that are fairly siloed in the traditional world and a number of intermediaries along the way. In crypto, what we call an exchange is really all of that into one. You know, it's the UI UX, it's the broker, it's the matching engine, it's the custody and the security and the settlement. And all of that is in one one unified platform. And so I think that actually provides a much more seamless experience to users and it allows the, uh, the exchange to um, to really refine the user experience and control the product from end to end so that the entire experience is exceptional and it is as good as it can get. And I think in the equities market, that's a lot harder to do for any individual entity because they really o- only control one piece and so much is out of that, their control. So mm-hmm. I think that's the that's probably the biggest um, structural difference between uh, between crypto and the traditional markets. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, And, you know, I sometimes explain to people that, you know, when they're trading on a a marketplace like Kraken, they're bringing, you know, they're bringing their goods to the table. Everyone's got to have their goods at the table. And, you know, there's no um, IOUs here, really, kind of, you know, aside from the the, the small kind of, um, you know, lag between, say, someone withdrawing and and or, or depositing really in the end everything's on the table and, and we're kind of making sure that all trades are you know the, the infrastructure there is is matching matching actuals not not uh not warrants not not um legal liabilities for for for, for ownership it's the it's it's the fundamentals that it's the we're trading right. goods right that's that's a great point it's it's like at the settlement layer everything in crypto is real it's a real-time gross settlement system so Mm. you send the funds on the blockchain and you're actually trading something that you know you have an ownership claim to i mean actual ownership to of not even an ownership claim to Mm. um so yeah it is there there is that distinction um, which i think probably helps the integrity of the markets as well yeah i think that's right and 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 again as well like another layer is the fact that the you know when you're dealing on the crypto side as well the exchange is then the sender you know we're almost kind of like the bank teller then 
So yeah, there's it's really a fully vert- vertically integrated, almost stack um, of services. At very least, as you said, unified, and it makes it a very different proposition um, to, to to existing financial markets. And actually, sometimes it's hard for people to get their head around that. So I'm glad we kind of went there. Um, okay, cool. So so I guess you know what then, given all of that, what are the kind of things do you think people should be looking out for? When they're when they're looking at exchanges to, to trade on, yeah. So I think it's you know it's basically um, all of those elements kind of um, wrapped end up being wrapped into one overall user experience. But so the first is you have now your UI UX, so that's the user interface, and um, you want not just a seamless experience, but you want something that makes you feel comfortable that there aren't going to be errors, um, that you, you know, have clean view of your risk at all times. Cause you know, I think whether it's for retail investors or professional traders, um, at the end of the day, you really want to trust in the integrity of, um, of the balances that are being shown to you of the positions that are being displayed of orders that are being routed. So all of those elements, I mean, you want the integrity of the platform because, if you don't get your risk right or you don't have the right source of truth, um, anything that stems from that is just, uh, if you can't trust that, then you don't really have any leg to stand on in, in trading. Mm. And I think that, you know, that kind of applies for everyone. And so for, for crypto, what that means is just you go all the way down the stack, right? So you start at the top of the stack. You need to have uh, just trust the, you know, the right, um, that everything from the web, side to the apps are all built well, all the way down to the matching engine, the integrity of how, um, you know, margin and liquidation systems work, all the way down to the clearing side and who's actually custodying the assets. You know, like we talked about, you're actually trading a real asset. Um, And so how are they, are they securely custodying it um, so that you can trust that when your balances on the ledger are reflecting a certain amount, they're, they're actually there. Uh, so I think, you know, I think a lot in a lot of ways, what retail investors want and what professional traders want are from a philosophical point of view, pretty much the same. They might differ in terms of, oh, do you want that over the API or do you want that over a web interface? But um, it kind of distills down to those the same integrity of um, of pricing and ownership. Yeah, that's that's really, really good point. I guess that, that kind of leads me to another question, which is, you know, given the fact that, you know, I guess in the traditional space, you'll have orders routing through to kind of a, really one of a couple of markets where those market makers are sitting and the clearings occurring. Um, with crypto, there are multiple markets. So how do we get a view on on price? Like what are the tools people use to kind of get this picture on the market given there are actually multiple markets? Yeah, it it is a great point that, you know, I think crypto is more fragmented than the equities market, but I will say that I think in crypto, uh, there's just more transparency. Um, And I think that's not even just at the blockchain level where it's obvious that there would be transparency, but in general, uh, many platforms make public their data for free. That's not a thing that mm. happens in the traditional markets. So the average person doesn't have that exposure. Um, I use the Crypto Watch, Crypto Watch desktop app. That's kind of my um, what I kind of keep up to just look at if I want to see markets across different exchanges or um, follow different assets or uh, look at different charts and analytics. 
Um, and so I think there's a lot of great free access and tools out there in crypto that don't exist in other markets. Um, and hopefully it stays that way, to be honest. And why do you think that is? I mean, I know so CryptoWatch is an amazing product and it happens to be something that Kraken runs but um, and owns, but uh, it, it allows you to plug into multiple exchanges. It's really a fascinating kind of, you know, multi-exchange uh, data tool and you can trade through it. But what um, why do you think it is the case that there's, more transparency is it because we had to stand up to and kind of like prove ourselves or is it because of competition yeah i think it's uh, i think it's twofold so one is that i do think there's a huge philosophical uh bent to it and i remember from even when i first entered the space that it was just with with bitcoin and crypto being built on open source software um it was just kind of, I think, public free data was part of the ethos of what many platforms um, offered. You know, it was almost like, okay, you know, there's certain things we can't open source, but we can make free this data. Whereas in the traditional world, um, it's just the ethos is exactly the opposite. It's like if you own the data, you never give it away for free. Um, and so I think there's a yeah. philosophical angle. And then I think the other element might just be that... Um, like the compression of margins has not yet necessitated that folks have to charge for data. I'm not really um, sure of that, but I, I have wondered the same, the same question and also what the future looks like and if data is always going to be free in this space. Yeah, well, I guess that's right. Like the, <laughs> the market's moving so fast that the business models, um, you know, are moving at light speed as well. So it's, it, it's hard to know where it's going to be, but I, I really like where it is right now. I, I think it's a strength. Yep. I, oh, I totally agree. And there's nothing like that that for the retail investor that you can get anywhere else. You know, I mean, even when I was um, during uh, what March 2020 um, trading, you know, around with all the um, all the stuff happening with COVID and stuff, which is a lot of opportunity in the normal markets. And on my interactive brokers account, I still had 15 minute delayed data. <laughs> you know? And so it's, uh, you really kind of take for granted how in crypto it's you you get the same pretty much the same level as any you know professional trader would get in the traditional markets. Mm, yeah, and 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 yet it's such a new industry. And and you know, do you think now? I mean, um, you know, what wh where do you think that this is going to go? And and are are we going to see a convergence of of these kind of marketplaces, or are they going to still be two separate worlds? Are they too technically different to ever be that way? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think there's going to be a convergence, and I think it's going to stem from the fact that any of these fiat on ramps are going to be regulated, and th so that means that it's going to converge to a lot of the similar kind of segmented structures that we talked about. Cause part of the reason that those structures exist is for regulatory reasons. You know, you need different licenses to do different things. And so I think in a lot of ways um, we'll have to see over time, different companies focus on different parts of the stack because it probably won't be tenable if you require five licenses to touch five different parts of the stack. Um, or like in the US, a great example is that uh, like Bitcoin and in Ethereum are overseen by a different regulator than security tokens. So if you wanted to 
do both mm. you'd have to be registered with the CFTC and the SEC so i think the i think the regulations will really drive more of um that convergence to the segmented model whereas i think without that uh we'd continue to see this vertical integration um basically everywhere yeah and i mean it carries with it the vertical integration thing i just want to my immediate reaction is that that's a it's a bad thing to disaggregate the model because i think that there's so many strengths to having that but there is also a lot that one single business has to kind of manage when it comes to being you know everything so what are the benefits in the traditional space uh for that model well yeah i think i think the benefits are having the specialization for sure um in each particular area and so if you get companies that are competing at um let's say uh the clearinghouse level and they're they're competing on just solely on having the best um margin and liquidations and storing collateral um then over time they can probably drive more efficiencies because they're so focused on that and those efficiencies mm. could um make their way through to the customer um and so you could argue that that could potentially happen at at each layer of the stack um i think where you run into issues are like when some of the intermediaries kind of if if there's not enough um open competition and you get entrenched intermediaries and then there's you know they can't they're not really driving down the prices as much um but i so i think one advantage is the ability for them to compete on in these specialized layers and um and make things more efficient and then another advantage is that it might just be more stable from a systemic point of view um and again my preference is still the vertically integrated but just to kind of think about it like if you do sort of separate out the risk among the risk of different pieces among different financial entities then that might um introduce less reliance on like a single entity. Yeah, I mean it's really interesting set of trade-offs, right? And and one of those is that at the moment if you're picking um, you know, providers, you kind of have to, you know, you might pick them on the basis that there's a particular uh they're really good at one thing, but they might not be really good at all things. So, um yeah, it's it's I, we probably need to do a whole episode on on the regulatory impact and I think this has been a really kind of interesting, you know, um a uh, little bite into the corner of that <laughs> that yeah. beast, but but yeah, there there seems to be um, your pros and cons, right? With, with with all these things, and and so and so, I think that's true also for for the aggregation side. Yeah, and I think that the last piece, um, and I don't really know where this comes out in terms of the aggregation or non-aggregated, but I think one area that the traditional world does fairly well with this structure is that people, especially. Um, professionals like large trading shops they get fairly advantageous like netting benefits and offsetting um because they do all their trading under you know one broker umbrella for example mm. whereas in crypto if you are going to a lot of different venues and let's say you're doing some stuff in defi some stuff in cfi um trading on a variety of platforms maybe doing a little bit in derivatives uh, if you don't get those netting benefits in terms of collateral, it can become very onerous from a collateral point of view very quickly. Yeah, and and I would say that right now it's probably the most stratified. I think the market is the most stratified I've ever seen because there's so much innovation happening at the edges, you know, and exchanges are obviously 
you know, working on on integrating and, and kind of build, building bridges into these, you know, uh, DeFi opportunities and 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 and, and all the, the layers, right? There's so many so many different things happening all at once. So it's so stratified right now. But I would assume that there'll be some more, you know, there'll be there'll be a, a you know a, a better web or a better way to traverse across that web in a more kind of unified way, perhaps as the exchanges uh, and the and the products in general become um, more integrated. Yeah, it's it's stratified, and on top of that, it's like we talked about in the beginning. It's so pre-funded, you know. Most things mm-hmm. are have to be pre-funded, so you have both elements. Even where a lot of innovation is taking place, a lot of stuff in DeFi is still fully collateralized. So you have the fact that on any individual uh, platform, it's pre-funded, it's high collateral requirements, lower and lower leverage by the day, as we've seen since the summer. And then on top of that, you have so many different platforms. So yeah, I think it's not the best combination for uh, collateral efficiency. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, I think that's, that's, I think that's a wrap. I mean, I I think we could, we could probably get (laughs) <laughs> really niche, but I, I, this has a really been a fantastic insight into you know your your experience and how uh, how I guess even traditional thinking around equities markets and 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 your experiences has kind of come across to to crypto. And it's been really fascinating. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice, and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember. You can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller, and this has been The Crypto Frontier. Crypto Frontier.